back. Woo! So this time I got to watch what I say. Tom and Lisa from Calvary Baptist, if you don't know us, I think most of you know us. Uh, great to be here. Um, it's funny, I got, a, I got an email middle of the week saying that there was a COVID thing, but we could come if we wanted to. Of course we're going to come. The only time we don't come is when you kick us out. And even then, we, we stand outside the door. No, just kidding. Uh, we're, we're always excited to be here. Glad that you're all doing well. We'll pray for those that are uh, at the hotel. And uh, are you allergic to me? Yeah. Okay, I just want to make sure because, yeah, I have that effect on people sometimes. My wife's saying she's allergic to me. Well, you know, after almost 30 years of marriage, that, that's, hey, there she is, the star who's, who, who is the, 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 the story, the, the cover girl for the, the magazine. That's awesome. So why don't we join in prayer and uh, when we get started. Father, we thank you that we could be here. We pray for those that are uh, COVID affected and uh, hanging out in the hotel, Lord. Just be with them and get them well as soon as possible. Uh, we'd ask, Lord, that your hand be on this place so that uh, COVID doesn't spread anywhere else and you protect all the ladies here. Lord, be with us tonight. It may be your words through my mouth. And uh, may you have a word for somebody here. I don't know who it's going to affect, but who knows? It could be someone here or someone on the on the live feed. We just don't know, Lord. But we know that this is true. Your word never returns too empty. And so we pray, Lord, that uh, uh, it be a powerful night for everyone. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So um, tonight's weird. I, I, I don't quite have my thoughts aligned tonight. So I don't know what's going to happen. I've been reading this book by Tim Keller. Uh, you know Tim Keller? He's a pastor out in New York, uh, runs a, a really large church there. Uh, he's a prolific writer. He's written on marriage. He's written on the reason for God. He's written on pastoring, all sorts of different things. He's a, he's a pretty smart guy. And he's, he wrote a book called Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. And it's the, you know, it's the question that Christians always ask. How can we have a good, loving God who is sovereign, who at the same time allows pain and suffering? And his take on it's pretty interesting. Um, I don't agree with everything I'm reading, but uh, it, he's got some really good points. And as I've been chewing on this, I, I wasn't really going to preach on pain and suffering because it's been, it's been kind of hit over and over again. C.S. Lewis has written on it. Every Christian pastor talks about pain and suffering. And, and you get to a place where there's not an answer, to be honest with you. You know, God's ways are not our ways, and, and you, you, you hit a wall. But then I was, I was chewing on it, and what came to mind was, of course, Romans 8. Romans 8. Romans Romans, the book of Romans is my favorite book. Romans 12 actually is my favorite chapter. But Romans 8 talks about, at the beginning, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, which is great because it's not about your performance anymore, right? But if you get a little deeper in Romans, and in verse 28, it, it says, And we know that all things, all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. That's us. That's us. All things work to the good of us. Because we love God, it's for God's purpose. You know, I was chewing on that. I was like, hmm. Even suffering? Even suffering works to the good of all of us? And the answer is yes. The answer is yes. But it's a little deeper than that. And so I thought tonight I'd, I'd kind of go through some of this, hit on some of what, what uh, Keller says, and kind of frame it the way I know it from my own suffering and being around here for as long as I've been here, four or five years, 
17 years, 20 years, I don't know what it's been. Uh, it's been a long time. And, and, and kind of talk through what we go through. Because we go through pain and suffering in this place, right? And sometimes it seems purpose, purposeless. Easy for me to say, right? Rinsed lips, so put up with me tonight. So I've shared this before. I think there's five kinds of suffering in the Bible. Five kinds of suffering. Number one, we reap what we sow. I call that being stupid. <laughs> That's when we do things and we think that we can get away without the consequences and there's consequences. And we suffer for those consequences, right? And we all can look and see in our lives what, what reap and sow is. That's a pretty easy one. There's correction. You know, we do something, God says, uh, 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 and then hits us with a holy two by four, right? There's that kind of suffering. And I think we've all been through there where we recognize God's trying to give us loving correction. And then there's, there's discipline. Um, discipline is different than loving correction. Discipline is when you are just really uh, rebelling against God and he disciplines you for it, right? So loving correction is, hey, you're getting outside the guardrails a little bit, so let's get you back in the guardrails. Discipline is, are you being a knucklehead? And God comes down on you like a ton of bricks. You ever had that? Yeah, I've, I've had that. I've had discipline. I've had the loving correction. And I've certainly reaped what I've sowed. And the hard part about reap and sow is, um, I call that loss of blessings. I've never really preached on it because it's so depressing. But if you look at scripture, when you lose a blessing that God's given you, he never gives it back. You've lost it. Now, he will replace it with other things, but sometimes there's lost blessings. And that's the reap sow part. So there's correction and there's discipline. And then there's this thing I call collateral damage, where you're the collateral damage. Somebody does something, you're just an innocent bystander and crash. And you suffer for it. And you, you are just what, minding your own business. But because of other people's actions, which you had nothing to do with, you suffer because of what they've done. And then there's number five. No reason whatsoever that we can understand why we're suffering. That's kind of the Job story, isn't it? You ever read Job? I love the book of Job. Job suffers, right? And he has no idea why. And he's calling God out saying, what did I ever do to you? And his friends are like, well, you know, certainly you must have sinned. And that's why you're suffering because you're being disciplined for sin. Or certainly you, you, you know, you, you've done something. Because in, in our thinking, you don't suffer unless you've done something. And at the end of the book of Job, God says, I'll have a meeting with you, just like you want. And never really tells him what happened. But he does say to Job's friends, you're all wrong. He didn't do anything. Job was a righteous guy and did the right things. And you're like, well, this doesn't make any sense whatsoever. You ever suffered like that? For no apparent reason? You can't pin it down? It's like some cosmic game between Satan, you know, spiritual warfare and God. So suffering's all around us, and it's, in Scripture, pretty clear. And if you've been one who has suffered, it's, it's a struggle to figure out sometimes what's going on. What did I ever do? Or maybe you've had a situation like me. My mom had multiple sclerosis. She was paralyzed and bedridden after I was born, never saw her walk. She lived in a hospital bed for 20 years and died. Like, what did she ever do? Wasn't discipline, wasn't collateral damage, wasn't reap and sow, wasn't correction. What the heck was that about? Right? 
And you watch that, and sometimes you, you question God, don't you? You question, well, what are you doing? <laughs> this doesn't seem loving. This doesn't seem right. This doesn't, what's going on? And that's kind of the struggle we have with God sometimes as, as those in the faith. This is where our faith really gets tested. In the book of Job, he keeps his faith, doesn't he? His wife says, curse God and die. She's a lovely woman. And uh, he doesn't. Now, he's not happy. He challenges God. He, he, he laments. He cries out. But he doesn't, he doesn't ever curse God and die. He never, he never loses his faith. And that's the point of Job, is that you can suffer in faith. And that's kind of Keller's point, too, is we can suffer in faith. But I think that there's more to it. And I kind of want to point out something that happens in John 9. John 9. In John 9, Jesus is with his disciples, and they see a blind guy. And the guy's been blind since birth. And Jesus' disciples ask him, which one of his parents sinned, his mother or his father? Because back in that day, they believed that if you had a, a malady or something bad happened to you, had to be some reason. You know, things don't just happen because they happen. And Jesus looks at him and says, oh, no, no, you misunderstand. Neither his mother or his father sinned. He's blind for the glory of God. Glory of God. Say that three times fast. Glory of God. And they're looking at him like he's crazy, right? Because that's not the culture. That's not how we understand suffering back then. And what does Jesus do? He heals him. He heals him. And this guy has to go before the Sanhedrin and say, I was blind, but now I can see. And the, and the, and the Pharisees and, and, the, and, the, and Sadducees are, are questioning him, right? Who did this? How did you do this? Are you sure you were blind before birth? And they bring his parents in. And they say, are you sure this guy was blind at birth? And they say, ask him. He's of age. Because right? they don't want to believe that Jesus did this miracle. But you got to run back and, and see what Jesus said. He says, this was done for the glory of God. This guy was blind for however many years, years and years and years and years, because he's an adult now. This was done for the glory of God. So that Jesus could do this miracle and show that he was Messiah. Now think about it for a second. You're the blind guy. How many years did you suffer without having any clue what this was all about? Do you have any inkling whatsoever that the Messiah was going to touch you and you were going to be able to see? Let's say, let's say he's a young man. Let's say he's 25. I think he's older, but let's say for, for argument's sakes, he's 25. He went through a quarter century of his life having no clue why he was suffering. Because that day, right, blind people, you had to get your daily alms. You had to get your daily bread. It's probably a beggar. That's the best you could do as a disabled person back then. That was done for the glory of God. So come back to Romans 8, where it says, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. It gets worse, trust me. <laughs> Keller uses the example of Joseph. And I think it's a good example. You know who Joseph is? Yes, no? Yes. Are you awake? Are you with me? It's Joseph, Joseph, yeah, the, that one. Well, Joseph, the, yeah, not that Joseph, Joseph, the son of Jacob, that big story in Genesis, 
from, ver from chapters 37 through 50. They give him a big swath of Genesis, right? Yeah. So Joseph, here's a kid, 17 years old. He's having dreams. He's dreaming his brothers are going to bow down to him. And he's going to be a great man. He's going to save a bunch of people. And uh, what happens to Joseph? Brothers hate him. Yeah, <laughs> they're like he's the son, the favorite son, because he's of the favorite wife, Rachel. Right? And it's not like Joseph or Jacob hated his other eleven sons or ten sons at this point. He loved them, but not like he loved Joseph. He, he, he gave Joseph a special special coat, right, many colors. And Joseph is an arrogant little 17-year-old. You know, kind of nanny, nanny, nanny. Let me tell you about my dream. You all bow down to me. Oh, yeah, sure. Sure, they think, right? So he's hated by his brothers. They try to kill him. He goes to check on them because his father Jacob tells him to. And they plot against him to kill him. Only one of the brothers says, let's not have his blood on our hands. So they throw him into a cistern. A cistern's a well. And the wells back then, I did a little research, are usually between 7 and 12 feet deep. So it's not like they threw him 20 feet, 30 feet into something. But it still would hurt <laughs> to get thrown 10 feet down. right? And they sell him into slavery and tell his dad, oh, he got eaten by a bear. I mean, they really dislike this kid. And, and, you know, you could understand that for good reason, because if you read the story, he was not a humble person. And so he sold into slavery. He's a slave for years. And he's tempted over and over by his slave master's wife, uh, who is a little bit of a hussy. And she's trying to, you know, bed him. And he won't do it. He won't do it. So finally she, she says, oh, my gosh, she falsely accuses him of rape. The slave owner puts him in, Potiphar puts him in jail, and he spends two years in jail. Okay. And we know what happens. He, he has divine ability to interpret dreams. Pharaoh has a dream. The, the baker who was in there with him says, oh, yeah, I know this guy can interpret dreams. Get Joseph. Well, between the time all this happens, where Joseph ends up being second in command to Pharaoh and saving all the people from a famine, which is the end of the story, right? 13 years have passed. He's 30 years old. So think about this. He's 17 years old, sold into slavery before God does anything about these dreams he was having. See, God was giving him the dreams. You will be in charge of things, and your brothers will bow down to you, and you will save your people. 13 years without a word from God. He's crying out to God, I'm sure, in the cistern. I'm sure he's crying out to God when he's sold into slavery. I'm sure he's crying out to God when he is being attacked by Potiphar's wife. I'm sure he's crying out to God when he's in jail. And what was God's answer? Crickets. You ever been to that place? Where you just don't hear? You're, you're suffering and you don't hear? But think about this. Let's work the story backwards. Jo Joseph ends up number two in Egypt. He, he knows a famine's coming because God has shown him and he's He's put together all this grain to save the people. And he's pretty good at managing things. As a matter of fact, as a strategic organizer, he's pretty, pretty really good. And so he has created a situation where everyone else is in a famine for seven years, and he's not. And he saved all the Egyptians, and he saved the Israelites. Okay? How many bad things had to happen to him to get him to be number two in Egypt? 
What if his brothers loved him and they didn't throw him into a cistern and sell him into slavery? What if Potiphar thought he was the best slave ever and kept him? And, and Potiphar's wife didn't try to seduce him. And he didn't get thrown in jail. Instead, he just is a slave in Potiphar's house for the rest of his life. Pharaoh would have never known about him. In jail, what if he had not met this baker who ends up in front of Pharaoh and says, I know a guy. What if none of that happens? See, life can be extraordinarily random. <laughs> can it? I was talking to uh, someone at church day, and I guess there's a story about some guy who already had a suspended license, criminally suspended license, drove into a house and killed a woman. And she knew the woman, this person in my church. And as a matter of fact, though, this friend of ours at church used to be at the Kaiser Veterinary Place. And this woman who got killed was big into dog breeding, and everybody knew her within the animal community. That's the most random thing. Someone drives in your house, you're sleeping, and they kill you. I mean, how odd. Why do some people get COVID and others don't? Random. Life can be really random. And it seems to us that this sovereign God doesn't really have a plan sometimes, doesn't it? It's like it's so random what's going on. But when you look at Joseph's story, you go, wait a minute. This isn't so random after all. All these things had to fall in place for God to get Joseph to a place where he could do what he said was going to happen. And it took 13 years. Now, in our estimation, suffering for 13 years like Joseph did would be no fun. It would well, it'd suck, especially if you have no clue about what's, you know, what's happening. How, you know, here's a kid, 17, having these dreams, and, he, and he's 13 years into this going, this is never going to happen. I'm sitting here in jail in a dungeon. How do we get out of it? How, how does this dream happen, Lord? Right. I could tell you from my own story, I don't share this very often. Um, I've always felt I was had a destiny from the Lord ever since I was little. And I was going through foster homes and homelessness and abuse and all the different things. I always felt God had something for me. And I was 23 years old, 23 years old in the Army. And some things had happened and life had accumulated to the part where I was done. I didn't believe it. And I told Jesus right then and there as I was thinking about killing myself, you know, you tell me for 13 years that I have a destiny since about 10 years old. You better show it to me because I'm done. And he did. And here I stand before you today, all these years later, teaching, preaching, counseling, doing all the stuff I do. Because when my mom had multiple sclerosis, it was her strength that got me through all my abuse. I figured if she can go through what she's going through, I can go through what I'm going through. And when Jesus touched me when I was 23 and came to me and told me, oh, you still have your destiny ahead of you, that's how I end up doing what I do, which is hopefully convincing people to be in heaven with me. Right? Encouraging, discipling, teaching. I, I didn't see that all those years of suffering. I didn't see that this was going to come to fruition. I, I'm like, Joseph, how do you know? Because Roman 8 says, God uses all things for the good of those who love him. Every single thing. And the reason I can come here and talk to you with any, any credibility is because I've been in your shoes. <laughs> I've done what you've done. 
You and I have shared experiences. Same with the guys over at Restoration House I preach at, and same with everyone I talk to. I have shared experiences. I would never have those experiences had I not had my Joseph experiences. So, so what about you? How is God going to use this for the good of you? Are you in the middle of a 13-year wait? Maybe it's longer. You know, Moses hung out in, in Midia for 40 years, hanging out with sheep until God called him. Because God had to align things in Egypt before Moses could go back. And Moses had to learn to humble himself and be a person who could shepherd. 40 years. 40. Yeah, bummer. <laughs> so where are you at? What's your walk look like? Do you understand that, that, that this, what you're going through right now, is part of the good that God's going to use for you? Doesn't seem good. Everyone wants to be independent and all that stuff. But sometimes we have to look at it and say, what is God teaching me? What does God um, want from me? What, what, what role does this play in the process of preparing me for the good he's going to do for me and to me. And that's why we got to keep our chin up. Because I think that uh, scripture talks about uh, hope delayed is like uh, pain to the bones or something like this. I forget the scripture, but it's Proverbs. And God knows. God knows hope delayed is, is suffering. And God knows that we suffer in five different ways. And God knows that the number five is the worst, not knowing why we're even suffering. Why did things happen to me that happened to me? I was just minding my own business, right? I was taken advantage of. I was abused. I was victimized. Why did God allow that if he is sovereign? Because he knows that he's got a plan for you that includes using that for the good of others. See, if I hadn't gone through the abuse and struggles I went through, I could never come here and talk with you. I, what credibility would I have? How could I relate? How could I empathize? How could I, how could I preach the, the message I have to you if, if I hadn't lived it? That would be hollow, right? I, I've seen... I've seen churches, and, I, and sometimes I'm a critic of the church. I've seen churches where people preach on things they know nothing about personally. And it turns into a spiritual TED talk instead of it being a heartfelt, Holy Spirit-driven sermon because there's no soul to it. So when God said he had a plan for me, and I had to go through a lot of years of struggle, before I could get to it. And honestly, I call it my 40 years in the desert because I didn't really give in to God until I was 40. I had the message at 10. I had the experience with Jesus at 23. <laughs> and I didn't really get into ministry till 40. Because I was too busy messing around. I was too busy not wanting to do this. I ran. I was Jonah. 
But God used even that experience. Because I run into people who say, well, you know, I love Jesus, but I hate the church. I'm like, I've been there. <laughs> but guess what? You are the church, so you hate yourself. Burn. <laughs> so I just want to encourage you tonight that whatever it is you're going through, some of you are, are like, like doing really well. Some of you aren't doing really well. Some of you are, 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 are like this. Okay? Some are just in a pit. You know what the rule is when you're in a pit, by the way? Stop digging. That's the first rule. Understand that Romans 8.28, from my experience, from scriptural experience, it's true. God will use all things, the good, the bad, the ugly, for your benefit in his bigger plan. But that plan sometimes takes a while to play itself out because we see that in Scripture. Sometimes it, you know, what was it? Uh, Abraham has a kid at 100 years old, or Sarah has a kid at 100 years old, and Abraham's a little older. It's a long time to wait. That's why we say we wait patiently on the Lord. So even your worst experiences, horrific, tragic, traumatizing, terrorizing, God will use for your good if you allow him to. Your traumas will help bring others out of the dark because like me, you have experience to talk to other people that will listen to you. Your healing will heal others. Your experiences even here can guide others who are in real crisis to this place to help others. Because isn't it about serving others? Doesn't God say that we're supposed to love each other and love him, love each other? And the most loving thing we can do with somebody is, is connect and help them. Scripture calls us the priesthood of believers. I, I, I'm not the only minister here. I, I count about 20 plus of you. You're all in the ministry, every one of you. If you allow God to use all things for the good of those who love him and who want to fulfill his purpose. So be encouraged, ladies. This is a great experience. This is a useful experience. This is a powerful experience. This is a healing experience. This is an experience that will allow you to help share the gospel with somebody else so that when you get to heaven and Jesus looks at you and says, hey, I want you to meet someone that's here because of you. It's going to be you. Isn't that the coolest thing? So don't throw away your experiences. Lean into the healing. Lean into Jesus. Take the good throughout the bad, but understand that God can take beauty from ashes. All God's people said? Amen. Amen. All right, all right, all right. You're very welcome. It's good to see you guys again.